welcome to semester four, episode eight of our Just Admit It podcast, where former deans and directors of admission give expert insight into the complex higher ed landscape. I'm Katie, an IBY's counselor and former senior assistant director of admission at MIT. And joining me today is my friend and fellow IBY's colleague, June, who is a former MD admissions officer at Stanford University School of Medicine and a pre-medical advisor at UC Berkeley. In this episode, we're going to talk about the medical school admissions process, focusing on the process for non-traditional programs, such as BSMD programs. Wonderful. Well, I'm so excited to be here with you today, June. Um, I know you have a lot of expertise in the world of medical school admissions. Um, What, I guess, could you outline for students who are thinking about careers in medicine, what's sort of the traditional pathway to medical school? What do students need to be doing as undergrads and what does that pathway look like? Well, um, the traditional is just for students interested in pursuing medicine in their junior year uh, between, you know, in the summertime between the junior and senior years when they actually would begin applying to medical school with the uh, intention of starting medical school after they graduate from college. So that's been the traditional path. Um, I would say that that has changed uh, dramatically, probably in the last uh, at least 10 years now. So maybe a generation ago, uh, the entering first year med school class was your typical 21 year old. And now I think a lot of med schools in general are seeing uh, the average age, probably about 24, 25. So obviously people are taking time off, whether that's to volunteer with the Peace Corps or um, work for a little bit or, you know, maybe um, extend the activities that they started as an undergraduate at whatever college or university or in the labs that they were working in. So there's so many different, um, I think, pathways that uh, applicants have taken um, after graduation. And uh, hopefully students don't feel like they need to start medical school immediately after they graduate from college, because I've always told students, you know, in the overall scheme of life, two, three years off is not significant, but what sort of life experiences can one gain in those two or three years that can obviously add to one's maturity or insight about themselves, just life experiences in general. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that is, uh, I think, more of the norm uh, than maybe a generation ago. That's really interesting. Do you think that any of that is related to people deciding later that they want to go into medicine? Or do you think it's, yeah, I want to have a little bit of a break after I graduate from undergrad, get some life experience, and then apply to medical school? Yeah, I think, um, well, obviously, more recently, because of COVID-19, I don't think too many people had choices uh, with labs shutting down and uh, obviously uh, all the shelter in place. But I think even before COVID, um, individuals were really uh, exploring opportunities uh, that were available. Um, I think one thing that's a little bit different is a lot of students uh, 
have been pursuing uh, graduate degrees before starting med school. So uh, MPH or even law degrees are more uncommon, but certainly something that isn't uh, surprising are PhDs. So there are some applicants with PhDs uh, that are applying. So I think um, this idea of uh, really exploring these opportunities and um, I think identifying problems, whatever those problems are that are really interesting to an individual and taking the initiative to try and solve them is what uh, seems to be a priority for, for many applicants before moving into medicine or medical school. And um, I think also they feel more um, not only confident, but uh, the knowledge base is certainly there for them in different areas that they feel they could contribute uh, once they get into medical school. So um, these are just, I think, some of the things that I remember talking to med students about why they took time off and and others just really uh, needed to save some money to even apply to medical school. So uh, there was that also where I do remember a couple of med students just working for a couple of years, saving that money and using it to apply to medical school once they were uh, ready to apply. That's really interesting, the thing you say about students, some getting master's or PhD degrees before applying to medical school and and kind of this idea of topics or issues, because that's something I, I think I see even on the undergraduate level, Students are not necessarily so focused on, I want to study biology or I want to study English, but I want to study any of the subjects and and disciplines that are going to help me to solve this specific problem. And that's what's really exciting. You know, I think about working with students is helping them discover what are those issues or topics or ideas or problems that they want to solve. And there's so much value, I think, in taking some time before you dive deeply into something like the the undertaking that medical school is to get some of that experience and figure out, you know, what do you want your specialty to be at the end of the day? Um, Or, you know, what are the things that you want to use medicine to help solve? Um, And that's, that's an interesting perspective for sure. I think the other thing, um, Applicants have been doing uh, probably more um, career interviews. And so they've had these opportunities to sit down with physicians to ask them, you know, what are some pros and cons of starting immediately or taking time off or how did you choose this specialization, et cetera, et cetera. I think those conversations have influenced applicants as well, where, wow, Dr. So-and-so, I just assumed he or she went straight into med school and I didn't realize they were doing this before starting med school. And so they were able to give some really nice um, feedback. I think to prospective medical school applicants about um, the challenges maybe, or uh, the pros and cons certainly of waiting to apply to med school. And so that probably is another factor in why some um, students have been taking some time off before applying. Yeah, that's very interesting to think about. I think about my own 
I mean, by no means am I a doctor of any type, but I went straight into graduate school for a master's in higher education after graduating from undergrad. And about 12 years later, after swearing off school that I would never go and do any more school, I started to take masters of counseling program classes. And it was so interesting, kind of the difference in, all right, I've got a decade of career experience under my belt and how much more I got out of those courses because of the practical life experience and having interacted with students. And it's so different than kind of the mindset that I had going into those master's courses when I was 22 years old and had just graduated from undergrad. And I think, you know, you think about the career of a doctor, I think there's probably a lot that uh, is helpful to have in terms of life experience before you go and you learn all of the academic sides of things. And so that is definitely, uh, you know, maybe that's a, a pathway that we start to see more students pursue. You know, the other thing, I'm not saying this happened to everybody, but I remember speaking to a couple of the med students, but they weren't necessarily young, but they looked young. And that dynamic when working with, um, as they were going through the rotations, their uh, third year, uh, that dynamic of interacting with some of the patients who were much older than them, you know, they had those issues where the patients didn't believe that uh, they were either a med student or had the knowledge base to assist them. And I understand, I don't think anybody wants to be in the hospital. And so being in the hospital, being sick, trying to recover, it can really intensify, I, I think, one's sort of uh, anxieties and things of that nature. So how that comes out and how that plays out, uh, I, I do remember cut the med students telling me like, it was tough, like interacting with some of the patients just because they look so young, even though they had a great deal of knowledge um, or maybe even life experiences. But that was something that was a bit surprising, um, but not not unexpected either. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The Doogie Hauser effect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I thought it would be helpful. I, I have worked with a lot of students who coming out of high school and applying to undergraduate are kind of eager to get that assurance for medical school and kind of want to do it all in one fell swoop. And there's a couple of different options out there. And full disclosure, I kind of always discourage students from doing BSMD programs, but I think they, they can be a great option for some students and um, to explain a little bit, I guess, about what a BSMD program is, is you're applying, you know, when you're applying to college as a senior in high school, you're also applying to medical school. So you're getting that guarantee that you're going through the whole seven, eight, nine year program um, and that will all be at the same university. Um, and I think, you know, there's definitely some pros to the BSMD programs that exist out there, um, but it can be challenging. I think, you know, nice to have that guaranteed admissions. Um, it's an ease, I guess, a slightly easier path, I would say, because you don't have to stress in your junior year about taking the MCATs and applying to medical school and doing all of that kind of stuff. But at the same time, it is a long, long time commitment. You're saying as a 17 year old, yep, I'm ready to 
be at the University of Pittsburgh for the rest of for the rest of my teens, the early part of my 20s and, and beyond. And I think about my own self at 17, 18, like I was pre-med in college for a hot second there. Um, that was right when Grey's Anatomy had come out. And I was like, yes, I'm going to be a doctor. And then I took organic chemistry and I was like, no, I am not going to be a doctor. Um, and so I, I think that's a, a challenge when I talk to some students is, okay, well, are you really, really sure about this? Is this what you want to do? Um, have you kind of seen students come out the other end of sort of BSMD programs or worked with any who uh, did any of that with your pre-med advising? No, um, I think here in California, there's, if they, if it's still around, I think there's only one uh, BS to MD. And um, because of the nature of that program, they're uh, focusing obviously on high school students and having worked uh, as a pre-med advisor, everybody is already in college or a current, you know, undergraduate. I think uh, there's nice things about it too. And um, maybe some of the cons about it is I'm, I'm not really sure at 16, 17, does one really know that this is the career? I mean, I realize our music interests change over time and, you know, those type of things. And this is a serious commitment. I think another con might be if you're admitted and you realize this really is not a good match for me, whether that's the curriculum or whatever it is, um, and you're thinking of applying to med school, uh, a lot of med schools may not accept your application because you have technically matriculated to med school already. And so that's something that uh, will prevent one from being admitted into a medical school. So those are some, you know, things to consider. Um, yeah, I didn't know about the matriculation factor. Yeah, you'd be viewed as like a transfer student, which I think transfers does not really happen in medical school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of med schools may not accept transfers from other med schools, number one, but the definition of matriculation may vary from med school to med school. It might be you either, you know, take a class your first year, that's considered matriculation, but I think the vast majority of med schools uh, consider one to be matriculated once they show up for that first day of registration or orientation, I should say, and you're physically there, you are now a med student and you have matriculated. So um, that closes off opportunities to go to other med schools. Absolutely. I think the only other opportunities would be looking into either, you know, foreign med schools or the Caribbean. Uh, they might be open to accepting you. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, that's one of the positives, I think, of the U.S. higher education system is that degree of flexibility and that, Yes, it's an advantage to know kind of what you want to do when you're applying, but you can also change your mind a bazillion times. And I think that's that's the strength of U.S. higher education as compared to a lot of European systems. Like in the U.K., if you want to be a doctor, you're applying at 17 directly into a, a five-year program where you're going to graduate with a bachelor's of medicine, a bachelor's of surgery, and go poof, go be a doctor. Um, and if you change your mind, you have to start all over. And 
I think that's that's what I love about higher education in the U.S. is the flexibility that you get to go and experience these classes that maybe you haven't had the chance to do in high school and figure out really what you want to do. And if medicine is that, great. If it's not, then go experiment with some other things that you're interested in. And it's, I don't know, I think of my own 17-year-old self. And if I had to be locked into the things that I wanted to do when I was 17, it's horrifying. I think I would be like an interior designer, doctor who owned a mac and cheese restaurant or something like that. You know, crazy aspirations um, as a 17-year-old. Yeah, we, um, I think, have a very unique uh, culture here in the United States when it comes to career, you know, the emphasis on career exploration and really finding your interests is unlike many other countries in the world where a test determines uh, what you're going to be. And that's obviously not the case here in the United States. And so that's something that's really unique. Uh, about living in this country. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I grew up in the Netherlands and I went to an American school, but if I'd gone to a Dutch school at 12, you basically, my dad always simplified it. You take, do you take a test and it decides if you're going to be a plumber or a brain surgeon. And depending on how you do it, that on that test at age 12, you go to a certain high school and then that goes into a certain university and like, boom, you're on the path to either plumber or brain surgeon. And there's not the same type of freedom to explore. And that's definitely a privilege of, of us, the U S education system and higher education, but it's definitely, you know, uh, I like it. That's, you know, a huge reason why I came here versus going to school in the Netherlands. Yeah. <laughs> Um, tell me, I'm, I'm curious, like what, how did you get into working as a pre-med advisor? What do you enjoy working about working with students who are interested in pursuing careers in medicine? Um, similar to you, I think I took about eight years off before I decided to go back to school. And, um, I really noticed the difference between, uh, my experiences and my classmates who had just graduated from college, it was dramatically different uh, how I was able to share some real life experiences in class discussions. And they were kind of trying to see things in theory or they could only see things in theory versus uh, real life. Um, I got into pre-med advising and admissions work for medical school by accident. Um, at the time, uh, after I graduated from med school, I mean, for grad school, um, I had worked with middle school, high school and undergraduate students, but never worked with older students. So um, I had a little bit of financial aid money left over. And as it got close to zero <laughs> in my checking account. I got serious about looking for a job and uh, was fortunate to find a job at um, the medical school admissions office at Stanford. Um, and, you know, having a counseling background, <laughs> one thing about admissions, you don't always get a chance to have direct student engagement and, and, and help shape. I think a student's, um, goals, career goals, and provide them with options that are available. I think in admissions, 
maybe options that I've been discussing is, should you apply now or later versus, um, you know, what's the difference between a helping career in medicine and a helping career as a firefighter? I mean, they're both helping careers, but what is it about uh, helping others that uh, is really interesting to you? So I was able to have those conversations more as a pre-med and pre-health advisor, more so than an admissions person. So that has always attracted me to um, helping students, particularly I think students that were a little bit younger, you know, versus um, career changers. Uh, Cause I've worked with UC Berkeley Extension, their post-baccalaureate um, program, and they were all adult learners. Um, many of them even had some families already. They were married with families and they were thinking of a, a career change. So those conversations were quite different. I want to say, I do want to say like with non-traditional applicants, um, there's probably an urban myth that med schools don't like, you know, non-traditional applicants or older applicants. I would do want to say that's against the law <laughs> that it, if a med school ever said no to you based on age and you found you ever found out you could probably sue them for more money than you would ever made as a physician. But um, I think what happens is, you know, as we progress through life and um, we take on more responsibilities, it's really tough when you're 40 and you have a mortgage and a couple of kids to say, you know what, I want to go and, to medicine. I want to change my career versus when you're 23 and you don't have these additional responsibilities. It's not just you that you have to think about any longer. So I, I think that's why you're not seeing many people in their mid thirties and forties applying because they um, have other uh, responsibilities that a, a younger applicant doesn't have to worry about. Um, so I just wanted to put that urban myth to bet <laughs> it, it doesn't exist. Med, med schools are open to whatever age you are, background, et cetera. Um, but I think one thing about non-traditional applicants is also there's a richness, I think, to their story. The personal statements seem to have always been more robust. Um, I think I could see the insight that an applicant has uh, having lived life a little bit um, versus someone that is uh, more limited, I suppose, in terms of um, life experiences. But there's certainly undergrads. I've read their personal statements and I was just like, wow, that that life experience is really different and um, even different relative to someone who's much older than them or whatever, because, you know, there's there's been applicants um, who are not who are still traditional that have grown up in, you know, very um, challenging uh, situations, whether that was their family was homeless or, you know, substance abuse or violence in the home. And they're still able to um, get to a point where they become a successful applicant to med school. But 
it's really kind of neat to listen to the or to read the stories of non-traditional applicants and how they got from A to B. Um, and that it's not, you know, life really is not linear in the end. And uh, I think what has been challenging uh, sometimes working with younger uh, folks is um, this idea that by a certain age, I want to blah, 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 or I should have blah, blah, blah. But that's not really in a lot of ways how life runs. Um, it kind of zigzags or goes up and down or goes round and round or whatever the word you want to use to get to that point. And so um, that that's something that has always been um, a little challenging to uh, get that message across to younger students uh, versus the non-traditional applicants. I think they have a better sense of, yeah, there's a lot of uh, factors that can really influence decisions for an individual. And so, like I said earlier, two, three years off <laughs> from school in the overall life is not significant, but what, what really can it do to help you to become a more mature, insightful uh, individual, I think is really important to consider. Yeah, I think it's so interesting to think about that sort of linear path that everyone feels like they're on in high school. Okay, I graduate high school, I go to college, I go to graduate school, then, you know, I'm going to meet a partner, get married if we want, have some kids and, have, you know, settle into a career. And the reality is, like, that's not how life works, but that's really hard to understand as a, as a 16, 17-year-old if you haven't had things in life go kind of astray. And I think as challenging and difficult as the pandemic has been, I think it has definitely helped the generation of students who are in high school right now, like learn to navigate uncertainty and figure out how to pivot and do different things when, you know, life doesn't necessarily go along that linear path as, as hard as that is. Um, but it's, yeah, more life experience is helpful. So then how, you know, how do you get at life experience as a high schooler to decide if you want to go for one of these BFMB programs or you want to do like an early assurance to medical school or you apply in like your sophomore, early junior year and, you know, you're guaranteed admission into X, Y, or Z medical school. Um, I think there's there's so many different options to consider, but what I always try and tell students is like, you'll end up exactly on the path that you're supposed to be, even if you take a bunch of windy diversions to get to the point where, where you are. Um, I think that cliche, like it's about the journey, not the destination, um, is, is certainly true, even on the path to becoming a doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think with uh, young student, younger applicants, what's challenging, especially if they want to consider medicine in, in terms of the uh, volunteer experiences, is that because they're under 18, you know, insurance plays a big deal in this. So uh, I, we, are they called candy stripers at the hospital? I mean, that's essentially... I think what somebody under 18 really is limited to, to, and that's a, you know, even though you may not do a whole lot, you have that opportunity to observe how um, 
you know, maybe doctors, nurses, the health professionals interact with patients. You're going to help them, I suppose, wheelchair them to the car when they're uh, discharged from the hospital. And, you know, you have that opportunity to ask how things were, how they feel, um, that type of stuff. So it is limiting uh, when you're under 18 uh, with regards to the type of uh, experiences that I think one would like to have. But as soon as you're over 18, I, I think you'll find many more opportunities uh, to be able to do clinical uh, volunteering or whatever it is that you're interested in doing. And that's, that's, that's the one thing that's a little challenging for younger folks is just getting that. But one thing that you certainly can do that I already mentioned earlier is sit down and, and do some career interviews with doctors. I mean, what I would encourage a young person to do is uh, announce to their family and friends, I'm interested in being a doctor. You never know who Uncle Bob might know, right? <laughs> I mean, the, yes, we. I think see our family as just an uncle or an aunt or whoever, but they have a lot of connections or, that you may never know. Um, that they have. I, I think some of my nephew is just realizing that about me. You know, he'll ask me, do I know somebody in whatever career? I'm like, yeah, I do actually. And so uh, I'll connect them with that person because they're interested in that possible career. So please, um, you know, let your family and friends know you have this interest. And if there's um, somebody that you can interview to ask how did they get interested in becoming a doctor and what's, you know, how did they um, choose this specialization? What were some of the factors? What are the um, challenges ahead for that particular, um, you know, career, that specialization? Yeah, um, and I think there's so many different ways that even if you're on, you know, under 18, you can get that sort of exposure, like going, like you said, going and interviewing doctors or mm -hmm. shadowing a physician. I see a lot of students who reach out to their parents, friends and say like, okay, can I shadow you for a week? Or like you said, I've got an uncle and he's an ER physician. So I'm going to go shadow him for a week or worked with students who, especially during the pandemic, you could order like suturing kits on Amazon and practice your suturing. And so I worked with a lot of students who did that over the pandemic and got to like, they loved it. Um, and I was like, great, okay, then maybe you really do want to be, uh, be a doctor when you grow up. Obviously, suturing is not the only thing that doctors do, but um, <laughs> the enjoyment of that, that needle thing they, uh, they liked. Or I worked with a student this year who um, took classes to become a medical scribe. And so she would shadow doctors in the ER and be the one who was taking all the notes. And that, you know, that showed her a whole different side of the, the world of emergency medicine. And she's really interested in, you know, not just the, the medical side of things, but how does an emergency room operate and healthcare administration. And again, that's that, that intersection of many different topics that she wants to solve a problem. Like I want to help emergency rooms run more efficiently and, and treat the people who are falling through the cracks. And it's all because she was sitting there like 
scribing all of these notes. Um, and she ended up doing a, an EMT course as well. Like I've had a bunch of students that will do junior EMT uh, courses and become EMTs before they're 18. And um, that's something, you know, you can continue in college as well. Like where I went, Boston College, we had Eagle EMS and it was all student run. Um, you know, it wasn't people coming from local ambulance services. It was all Boston College students who uh, were trained as EMSs and uh, yeah, cool stuff out there for you to get that experience. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um yeah, I, I think it also can depend on where one ends up going to, you know, college. Uh, I think there's one college, um, I forget which one, um, where they set up their own EMS. They had their um, ambulance. They had their own ambulance and everything like that. So uh, the, the undergrads had that opportunity to be trained as an EMT and um, I'm assuming it was just limited to campus activities. They weren't actually going on 911 calls, but that is uh, something that you know I've seen in applications from non-traditional applicants that they worked as an EMT for several years before uh, applying to med school. So they got a really good uh, idea of uh, the challenges in healthcare, the um, the different communities and individuals that they had uh, assist. Uh, you know, particularly here in the Bay Area with um, the large homeless population in San Francisco. You know, I do remember reading some of the uh, challenges of working with the homeless. Um, as an EMT. So those are just things that um, you just can't learn, obviously, in a classroom setting. Yeah, I even uh, I was training, I did do a CPR training to coach volleyball at a school that I worked at here in Boston. And I am pretty sure this, the CPR training even that I did was done by EMT undergraduate students from Boston College. And um, you know, all, all cool experience that can contribute to your, your experience and exposure in the world of medicine in that field. Um, I'm wondering, you know, as you think about students entering the, the goal and the kind of the pathway of medical school, what advice do you have for students who are thinking about medicine as their career field, whether they're 16, 17, or just graduated from undergrad and are trying to decide whether they want to apply to medical school right away or get experience? What are sort of, I don't know, general advice for students interested in the career of medicine? Well, I think at that age, um, you have time, <laughs> number one. So do, do a lot of research if you can. I mean, it's really, really obviously very different. When I was 16, there was no internet. <laughs> I had to physically go to the library and look things up if I wanted to do research. So now information is literally at your fingertips. Uh, I think what we alluded to earlier about uh, publicizing to your family and friends your interest in pursuing medicine. Um, you never know who your friends or your family members know in terms of uh, uh, somebody in, in medicine. I think one thing to consider is also what is it about a helping career? Um, 
that and, and and this may come later down the road uh, I, when I'm working with a lot of undergrads, I really want them to think about what's unique about medicine that they could not find the same satisfaction in other helping careers as like being a minister or a counselor or whatever it is. These are all helping careers, but what's really unique about being a physician uh, that satisfies that need to help others. Cause it's, it's really different. I think being the teacher, you just never know if your student is going to grow up to be the president of the United States. So there's some delayed gratification in that versus, you know, a physician where you're feeling sick. Okay. Take a couple of these pills and you'll feel better tomorrow. And you do, you know, or you break your bone and then they um, put you in a cast or whatever the case may be. So you, you see more immediate um, gratification. So there's, there's a lot of things to think about as one considers helping careers because uh, there's so many different sort of uh, gratification in those different careers that um, oftentimes I think when we're younger, we just see it on TV or in the movies and think that it's really always like that and everything or, or the drama <laughs> of the movie or the TV series is like that on an everyday basis. And it's not always that case. Um, I think the other things about, well, if you want to take a traditional or non-traditional path to medicine, as you enter college, one of the other um, urban myths that are out there is about you have to be a science major to be admitted and med schools don't really care whether you're an art major or a chemistry major, you still have the same chance. I think the difference is obviously as a science major, you're going to have a stronger science background than an art major. And how do you fit the prereqs for med school into an art curriculum, art major curriculum? But that's happened. Um, you know, I've worked with uh, students who are English majors because they have an interest down the road of being a medical author. So that's always been, uh, I think, a great way of uh, viewing their careers, um, how to take their interest in both medicine and writing and combine the two to make a unique career for themselves. So don't feel like you're limited to just biology or chemistry or whatever it is. You can be a dance major and still be admitted to med school. It's just going to be more challenging to fit the science courses in to your curriculum as you're going through. And then, of course, I've always told applicants to apply when they feel that they are the strongest possible applicant is so expensive to apply to med school. And <laughs> I sort of try to tell them, you know, you want to invest something when you think you're going to get the most bang out of that investment. So why are you, why are you investing in something knowing that, you know, if you just wait a little bit more, you might get more out of that investment. So it's sort of similar to applying to med school. If you're, going to have opportunities to enhance your application wait until uh, you finish those experiences or participate in those activities uh, before applying to med school i think it'll um, 
I think in terms of the letters of recommendation that you can get from a supervisor or whoever it is, he or she can obviously uh, provide a lot of insight into whatever leadership skills that you've demonstrated in that activity or um, the initiative you've demonstrated and things of that nature. So um, just to do your best to be um, maybe patient <laughs> uh, as you're going through this process. I know it's hard, uh, probably more so with the advancement of technology, everything's just immediate, but um, you have to do your best to uh, maybe have a different perspective. Yeah, I love that idea of being patient and adaptable and flexible, because I think, you know, there there is not one perfect path. A lot of students I worked with will ask me, okay, well, should I do a BSMB program? Should I do early assurance? Should I apply to school in the UK where I'm admitted right into medical school? And I think, you know, there is no perfect path. There is no one way. Uh, it's you'll end up and that's where I like very much believe in fate. Like you'll end up in the place that you're supposed to end up. And every experience that you have along the way will make you better at the thing that you're doing. Like if you are a dance major and also applying to medical school, think of like how many dancers have unique injuries that if you were their doctor, you would understand the mm -hmm. unique injuries of that. Like my husband is a CrossFit coach and he's always trying to find a doctor who is also a CrossFitter. So they understand like the unique things about his work as a CrossFit coach and that's hard to find. And so, you know, if there's those, that overlap in interests or overlap in different disciplines that can make you an even stronger candidate in that you know that sort of niche area yeah yeah it's um it, it's it's something that's uh number one i kind of remember when i was that young like the milestones that we were talking about earlier and i thought by the time i was certain age blah 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 but i think um what's really challenging nowadays is um trying to have a student focus on themselves rather than comparing themselves to their classmates or whatever the case. So, you know, that's that I think that's the thing that um, is has been a little challenging in pre-med advising. Yeah. Yeah. That you are your own unique story. And yeah. You don't have to compare yourself to what some your neighbor is doing because they're their own, you know, everyone's taking their own path um, to wherever they're going to end up. Yeah, so I think um, I hope that, you know, there's a lot of insight in our conversation this morning. So I'd say that that's about um, wraps up this episode. Um, thank you for tuning in to Just Admit It. Catch up on all of our previous episodes by visiting our podcast page and be sure to bookmark our knowledgeable base uh, for additional help when navigating the complex and competitive admissions process. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok for more higher ed uh, resources. And stay tuned for our next episode in which we will share advice on how to help students prepare for self-advocacy. Thanks, everybody. Bye.